0: It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Even as we approach Thanksgiving, uh, this week I'll be on an airplane. I understand uh, by the family of one Kelly Caskey, I'll be well supplied for Thanksgiving as I take a bag back to some of your children and grandchildren in South Asia, where my wife Carrie and I, my name is Nathan Shank. I live and serve as missionaries with the International Mission Board. It's my great privilege and, and honor to, to say thank you to this church, not just for sending more than 100 volunteers to be a part of our meeting this previous summer, doing child care. I, I met Joseph and others in the in the hallway who were endeared even to my 10-year-old, to my children as they learned and served and We're served by and taught by so many of your membership here, even this summer. But all the more in the partnership that comes, as some of your children and grandchildren serving with the IMB, many of you even, perhaps, having been involved with partnership overseas with our International Mission Board. Today, 177 years of investment, of sending and going by Southern Baptists, In just a few more years, just a a couple more decades, you realize we'll cross 10% of Great Commission history, with nearly 2,000 years since our Lord gave the commission, Southern Baptist involved in sending and going for soon to be 200 years, 10% of Great Commission history, that churches just like Taylor's have been involved in sending families just like mine to do the work of mission to. To partner in the work of mission. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. And even as you turn there, as Josh mentioned, I, I, it happens that I'm a class of 94. Uh, I'm a 1976 model standing in front of you today. I, I'm about a year younger than Josh. So I don't remember, and I can't, no context with the JC Penney catalog, but being from Springfield, Missouri, I do remember the Bass Pro catalog. (laughs) And I'll just offer it to you again, where you take up one of those Send Relief catalogs today and consider giving, considering realize that every dollar given there is partnership with the IMB, with the International Mission Board. Even in the last two years of COVID, more than 220 projects through Send Relief International, invested in South Asia where, if you struggled with sheltering in place, imagine, imagine being a day laborer in North India. And when sheltering in place comes to your neighborhood, it, it means you have no labor, you have no daily wage. You have to find out a way to get back across your state to see if your children have anything to eat. And in that case, this is the real deal in your hands today. Send reliefs stepped up to the plate. Southern Baptists giving there stepped up in ways that resulted in many, many expressions of thanks, many tens of thousands of gospel presentations. I thank you for that partnership. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The reading begins in verse number 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, and we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now listen to this next verse, and if you use a a pen, if you mark in your Bible, or if you're taking notes, you're going to want to underline one letter here. It is a lowercase g. Verse number 4, the God, lowercase g, God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, capital G, God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It is a privilege to be at a church that for some years has led South Carolina in giving to what we call the cooperative program. Do you realize then the intimacy of a partnership, an opportunity to return here and to say thank you for churches just like this, that throughout my adult lifetime, having served since the year 2000, since college, it is churches like this that have put food on my table allowed my kids to grow and to be healthy, to to be warm and well-fed. Thank you for that cooperative giving. Thank you for that heart of generosity. Even as we approach Thanksgiving in the following week, the Christmas season to come, as we consider the, the last five chapters of the book of Acts, the sermon series that just paused until the spring, if I understand it correctly, so that we might begin an Advent season here at Taylor's. You realize even last week from Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, I understood as I listened in, uh, euphemistically referred to as the give or die sermon. As you consider your giving and as you consider the mission support that comes from a church like Taylor's, thank you. Thank you for sending us. If I were asked to boil down and, and describe what the work of the IMB missionary is, obviously we might run to a Great Commission passage, Matthew 28, or, or a promise like Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that this gospel would fill up the earth and disciples would be made. As clearly as anywhere in Scripture, understanding the characters involved in that Great Commission, I might actually run to this passage to give a succinct vision, description of the work that you send even your children and grandchildren involved with the International Mission Board to be a part of. We read it. In fact, we underlined two letters there, didn't we? In verse number four, the little G God of this age has in fact blinded the minds and the eyes of unbelievers so that they do not see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that spiritual reality in the world today? Where I live and work among nearly a billion Hindus in South Asia, in the birthplace of Buddhism and and the residence of even a third of the world's Muslims by population. When we think about the, the nations of South Asia where you have sent us, darkness remains prevalent, It remains obvious, where wood and stone have been exchanged for what could be known of the one true God, even according to Romans chapter 1, where people would prostrate themselves in worship of the creation rather than the Creator. In fact, the task, the very twisting, the confusion of truth, the deception that would come from this little G God, and yet we remember that the presence even of Satan is compelled in this world. Do you remember in Job chapter 1? you remember the introduction to the book of Job, how there in heaven... There before the throne room of God, the all-created beings, even those angelic beings, they presented themselves to the creator. They they gave an accounting of where they'd been and what they'd been up to, including that created being Lucifer, Satan, who presented and gave an account of having roamed through the earth. and, And there, compelled by the presence, by the command of God, that his presence to present himself before the throne... Knowing full well this is the same Satan, the same Lucifer, that having sinned, having fallen, was in fact cast, hurled even, to the earth. His presence, his sway in this world where darkness reigns because of sin, the blindness as his agenda among those who are perishing, all of this compelled by the judgment of sin given by the Creator. Meanwhile, as we understand the blindness that comes as the enemy's agenda, verse number 6 tells us that the capital G, God, Yahweh, the one who said, let there be light, has made His light to shine even and into our hearts, giving us a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, this Creator God has also shown us the light that has delivered us from darkness into, in fact, the kingdom of his son, the son whom he loves. If I could describe a job description, the work that the International Mission Board is a part of, the work that you support through your missions giving, I would be served to run to this passage and describe this this cosmic reality, the spiritual dynamic Little G, God of this age, blinding the eyes of unbelievers. The capital G, God, the creator, shining light into the hearts of man. And there we are. In the middle. Between verse 4 and verse 6, we read verse 5, and we take up a life's work. Verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, Paul says, for Jesus' sake. When I was a child, I remember sneaking in and out of my grandfather's workshop. I remember even in more recent years in my adolescence in my father's workbench there going up on a small farm in southwest Missouri, and at the end of that workbench there was that vice, you remember? And the lever that created torque so that the, the fixed jaw and the sliding jaw might come together, might clamp and take hold of a, a piece of equipment or a, a piece of metal that needed sharpening or shaping, fixing in many times. The jaws there that clamped and held that, that object of work, that object of in place, those those jaws that held that thing fixed and secure were all under the authority of the torque, the, the one who would work that vice and clamp down the object of their morning's work. Do you, do you remember that type of vice in so many ways? When I think about this passage, verse number four and verse number six, it's as if those jaws have surrounded us. When I describe us, when I, when I talk about the, the workers of the International Mission Board, I want you to realize that we're not alone in that task. In fact, this reality, this pressure, this torque that may be applied between the little g God of the age and the capital G God the Creator is also a reality, a spiritual reality for all who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It causes me then, even if I describe the IMB's work, to think and to ask and to wonder today exactly how much torque, exactly how much pressure there might be in the spiritual reality in the lives of those who would listen and be served by this text, by Paul's commission, by Paul's description of ministry here. It dawns on me that every one of us who have taken on the ministry of the Spirit of God, who have taken up the gospel of Jesus Christ as our message, your spirituality, just like mine, are being described here in these verses. I want you to know then that that ministry of the Spirit, first of all, it's qualified. That ministry that's being described, this preaching of the gospel, it's a qualified ministry. The qualifier, very simply, is in fact the third person of the Trinity, invested in your life, invested in all those who have taken on Christ as a savior. Look back at chapter three with me. Verse number three, 2 Corinthians 3.3 3 and following. A description here of the spirit invested in us You show, Paul says to the Corinthians, that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He goes on, such confidence in this ministry then, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit of God. For the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. This is that same Holy Spirit that Paul would speak of in Ephesians chapter 1, describing a seal, a seal. Put upon the hearts of those who have known the gospel. Put upon the hearts of those that Christ, that God the Father has called unto himself through Christ. That seal, that spirit, that qualifier of this spiritual ministry is a guarantee upon our lives, our hearts. Guarantee among the saints of the inheritance that is being revealed. Of the inheritance that in fact will never end. So Paul is right in in instructing the Corinthians, passing this same seal on to them. Here on the same page, as I look at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, in chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. On the opposite side of the same page, as I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 2 and 3, chapter 5 and verse 5, he repeats the same. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Is that how you describe your, your spiritual reality? As you walk through the life, as you walk through your week. As you consider your path and your, your routines through between any two Sundays, and people you've never met, they may come to you, how, how do you introduce yourself? When they ask, what, who are you? How would you introduce yourself to others? And how often we skip by, I, I, I'll just honestly confess to you, I don't typically start, well, you see, the little g God of this age, who has blinded the hearts of unbelievers. And yet, in the midst of it, as he presses upon us, we preach Christ, not ourselves. For the reality is that the capital G God who shined, said, Let there be light, shone his light into my heart, gave me a ministry of the spirit. I don't typically introduce myself that way. And yet, for all who have known the indwelling of the Spirit of God, this job description, this cosmic drama this reality of torque in our life there at the at the edge of darkness and light that's where we stand and as an imb missionary that's where i tell you if there's integrity in the work you send we preach christ crucified not ourselves You realize that spirit that compels that message, it compels a ministry that is glorious. Look as we go on in chapter 3, verse number 7. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, that is the ministry given to Moses, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because it was glorious, transitory though it was. Will not, underline, meant the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious. You know what Paul's referring to? He's referring to Exodus chapter 34 here. You remember in the the second scrambling up the mountain of Sinai to to take on the, the newly minted stone tablets, the second set of stone tablets that God gave? As Moses returns, it seems he was unaware. Uh, not many mirrors in that day, certainly no, no cell phone to check his appearance. Moses goes there before the Israelites, and I imagine him surprised to find out they were afraid of him. Do you remember that passage? Exodus chapter 34. Having met with God, having met face to face with the creator, with the one who shines lights into this world, it seems that the Shekinah glory of God was reflected on the face of Moses. His face shone with the glory of God. Do you remember that passage? So Moses, it says in Exodus 34, and here, even as it was transitory, it seems that the people of Israel were afraid of Moses. So he, he took a veil, and he put that veil over his face. Do you remember? Now... Exodus tells us only of the trembling, the fear of the people of Israel, it, by awe or amazement. Perhaps the authority of Moses being vested there reflected in the glory of God as he had met face to face. They submitted themselves. They, they listened to him. They, uh, they followed his direction and instruction. But here in this passage, we actually see something more. We see something in Paul's description that is not immediately obvious in Exodus 34, Look as we go on, why the veil, why would Moses put such a veil over his face? Verse number 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, Paul says, we are very bold. Verse 13, we are not like Moses. Why the veil, Moses? We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Why the veil? Exodus 34, because the Israelites were afraid. They trembled at, the, at Moses' appearance. Why the veil? Paul reminds the Corinthians, reminds us today, that in fact that glory, that reflection having met with the Savior, met with God the creator, that, that reflected glory was in fact transitory, it was fading even before the Israelites' eyes. Why the veil? It seems Paul suggests he put the veil there to prevent the Israelites from seeing what was fading away, as if somehow the authority might be transitory, as if somehow his words might be less authoritative, as if somehow they might turn and no longer follow after him, begin to question his authority to lead them as the glory faded. Thus the veil Thus the secrecy until he could meet face to face again and the Shekinah glory be renewed, if you will, in the reflection. Paul says here for us, this ministry of that spirit that indwells you, so much greater. All surpassing glory is the way it's described. That from glory to glory, we've received the ministry, we've received the reflection of the creator that is not transitory. It is not fading. Rather, as he says, with unveiled faces, we also who carry the ministry of the Spirit of God reflect and move from glory to glory as we reflect the truth of his character, his love, the beauty of his gospel. We carry, we reflect. This, brothers and sisters, is the ministry given over to each one of us to know and to reflect. And this ministry, brothers and sisters, is glorious. This brings us back then to chapter four, where we began, to verse number four and verse number six, to that vice that was described where pressure is applied there in the the wrestling between the little G God of this age and the all-surpassing power of the capital G God who said, let there be light. And there that ministry carries on in the preaching of the gospel. I want to tell you this ministry, this gospel, even as you send workers to the ends of the earth, this gospel is simple, but it is not easy. Do not confuse what is simple with what is easy. A simple gospel. The truth is, brothers and sisters, there is but one God who created all things, who for the sake of redemption became a man, that he might offer a once and for all sin sacrifice, blood sacrifice, for the sins of the world, even according to the Father's will that he should on the third day rise again from the dead and having risen, call his disciples once again to take up their cross and follow after him. One God who became a man for the sake of redemption died as the last and only sin sacrifice, rose again from the dead and called his disciples to take up their cross and follow after him. My simple gospel that brothers and sisters is by no means easy. Each proposition there, opposed by an enemy who would blind and who would steal, who would distort. One God, did I tell you that in South Asia we live among a billion Hindus? One God, one God who exclusively deserves worship? Simple gospel, not easy. Brothers and sisters, a billion Hindus just took a pass on that simple gospel. One God who became a man. That second proposition of our gospel that for the sake of redemption, Jesus took on flesh even as we enter into the Advent season and celebrate Christmas. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters around this world, there are a billion Muslims Whose primary barrier is the thought that the Creator would ever soil himself by associating with man? How could God have taken on flesh? The primary barrier of a billion Muslims in this world. Do you think the gospel's opposed? Do you think that there's a a little g agent at work blinding the minds of unbelievers? Simple gospel, but not easy. That that Father God, it would be his will, according to Isaiah, that his son would be crushed even for the sins of the world? That a billion Buddhists might say, no, thank you. How could the God you serve have blood on his hands? Surely he wasn't involved in taking life. Simple but not easy. A billion Buddhists just took a pass. And what we consider a simple gospel, it's almost as if this gospel is opposed by one who would twist and distort and deceive. After three days, our gospel, the hope of the resurrection reminds us that as the first fruits of all creation, Jesus was given life again throughout the book of Acts. Those apostles saying it was the Father's will that he should live again. And the reality that whether by atheism or whether by just secular humanity, the secularists among us, even in North America, might take a pass denying the supernatural, denying that God would, a man could breathe again? Are there a billion who would pass on the supernatural around us? Large swaths of humanity set aside by each and every component of this simple gospel. We didn't finish there, though, did we? One God who became a man, who died as a sin sacrifice according to the Father's will. Three days later, he rose again, and as before, he once again repeated his call to those disciples that anyone who would follow after him should take up their cross, follow after him, follow the road of suffering even that he had modeled, that he had demonstrated. I come to the reality, I have to accept the fact that in many cases, even in North America, those who may have grown up under a Christian witness, with Christian parents, how many, many thousands, even millions, millions, those who would have grown up in Christendom will take a pass at the notion of carrying one's own cross following after such a Savior. Our gospel is simple. Brothers and sisters, it's not easy. I wonder how many of you, part of Taylor's, Involved in this cooperative giving, sending of missionaries around the world, how many of you have been involved in giving with the cooperative program for, for 50 years? Would you raise your hand? Any members here from the 1970s on? No doubt. As I mentioned, I'm a 76 model. Bicentennial year. And the reality that... in. Uh, According to the International Mission Board, 177 years of history in sending and going. The realities in South Asia are much more recent. It was only in 1974 that one Rebecca Naylor, Dr. Rebecca Naylor, sent out from Texas to land and became the first stackpole, the first multi-term missionary to India that the International Mission Board had ever sent. Dr. Naylor is still with the International Mission Board today. The reality then that the South Asia investment, the, the sending to in countries like India and South Asia, only within our lifetime have we seen the gospel go forward under a Southern Baptist banner, under a, a banner concerning the people groups of the world, a banner that is involved in our sending and giving. I'll show you a map just now call upon it here as a PowerPoint slide to show you the peoples of the earth. It was that same year in 1974 that the IMB began to shift its thinking about nations as we read about them in Gentiles even, as we read about them in the New Testament, even into the book of Revelation, that rather than geopolitical units, these were people groups, languages and tribes, ethnic realities that might be barriers to the gospel. Since 1974, beginning in earnest in the 1980s, even an attempt to map out so that every dot on this map equals 50,000 people, based on people group status, language, ethnicity, tribal status around the world. Now, if you have been giving for the last 50 years, if you've been involved in mission sending through the International Mission Board since the 1970s, I wanna tell you that this map is changing a significant shift you might see. Now you recognize here three colors, green, red, and orange. The green dots, one dot for every 50,000 people where we know there is more than 2% evangelical. These green dots may yet be 98% lost, but there is a Christian witness, and there good news, brothers and sisters, over the state of South Carolina, many green dots, right? You recognize as you've gone about inheriting and ministering in this context, the orange dots, less than 2% Christian, but with church planting underway, engaged for the sake of church planting. If we move forward, you would see that slide in orange, if I'm not mistaken. There also, having removed the green, the red dots begin to be more obvious those are people groups less than 2% Christian with no known church planting strategy. No known gospel light being shown among them. The next slide would remove the orange, of or the red, and again remove the orange and show us the red, and you see that those who are unreached and unengaged, there is an epicenter on this map concerning lostness. For some of you, it's that same field where you've sent your children and your grandchildren, that same field where you're providing for my kids as they grow up on the field. There, the nations of South Asia, this map, however, is changing. Even as I came to the field just out of college, almost the entirety of India covered in this blood red But I want you to see, if you've been involved in giving for 50 years, I want you to see the next slide, one you've never likely seen before, where evangelical presence in the nation of India is growing at a remarkable, even unprecedented rate. Have you thought of the reality that even 50 years ago, where only a handful of believers might take up the seed and be trained how to share their faith with others, might go about church planting, that the nation of India, in fact, this many people groups crossing over to a reach status that they as a the labor force might also engage with the labor field, with the harvest field, and see the entirety of South Asia one day blooming with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is fruit of your sending This is the fruit of your giving and praying and going. We as Southern Baptists seeing Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism, those heartlands of organized paganism around the world submitted to the light that is shined from the one true capital G God giving them life. This job description then only knows Advance. And we said it early, and we we move toward conclusion as we think. Now, having preached all the way back to chapter four and verse number six, that there, in the midst of the vice, we preach. Christ. There in the midst of those jaws we preach not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. And here a a verse you may have learned and quoted even from your youth. In its right context verse number 7, do you realize that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power, that is the ministry of the Spirit of God, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know this passage well. I'll ask you, even today, do you consider yourself hard-pressed? And the reality of such an eternal investment, glorious investment, the Spirit of God living in you, do you remember today that you're but a jar of clay? And that somehow in the midst of this, it's the Lord who, who controls the torque in that vice we described. Have you ever, as you quote this verse, like treasures in jars of clay, have you ever considered the fact that it's God the creator doing half of the pressing, half of the pushing, squeezing, and the work of preaching the gospel? As surely as verse 4 and verse 6 catch us there, in verse 5, it seems to me that the context is the Lord controlling that torque so that we're hard-pressed but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We may be struck down but not destroyed. I'll call you on this Thanksgiving week. In the beginning of this Advent season, as we remember that the one God became a man for the sake of redemption, that you, like me, you, like any sent one, would carry on this ministry of this Spirit, that even your fragility would give testimony to the all surpassing power that resides within you. Are you hard pressed? Brothers and sisters, you're not crushed. Are you perplexed? Don't despair. Are you struck down? Brothers and sisters, as surely it is the almighty, eternal God living in you, you are not destroyed. By way of application, verse number 16, 17, and 18 of chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, verse 16, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we may be wasting away inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Does that describe your spiritual reality today? can. It's simply a matter of verse number 17 and 18, recalling our light and momentary troubles they're achieving for us in eternal glory. Far outweighs them all. By way of application, verse number 18, therefore, so, brothers and sisters, fix your eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporal. What is unseen is eternal. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this church that loves giving. Thank you. For this church that loves sending and going, taking on the ministry that you qualify, that Lord is in fact glorious, taking up a simple gospel. And even where it's opposed, Lord, we know the end for that little G God of this age. We know the victory that comes in serving the almighty creator, the one who would shine lights, even in our own life where we've received, where we've known that light. We would give testimony today, Lord. You're all surpassing power, not from us. Heavenly Father, may even our fragility, the fact that we are jars of clay, may even this reality allow your glory to shine through. That no one would say, look what first Taylors has done. Rather, Lord, that you'd receive glory. Look what the Almighty has done with fragile vessels. May it be that we're always prepared to give a reason for that hope. I don't know and I don't pretend to understand living around the world, what challenges, where that pressure might be, how much torque you feel in your life today. Maybe it's a health issue. You would request prayer. Maybe it's a spiritual matter where you know you need to choose holiness, even repentance. Maybe it's a hurt one from a loved one. Certainly. Certainly, in the week of thanksgiving as we gather with family and others a chance to lay that before the Savior's feet to see it healed to see it on the mend by the goodness and grace of our God whatever challenge you would commit to him today would you stand and be so bold as to give it to him would you stand even now as we sing let's worship our Savior